Hello, Bethany. Welcome to our March 22nd online service. You're probably worshiping uh, with us at home. Thank you for doing that. We're glad you're here with us. We would love to be here in this room together. We can't wait for the day when we are worshiping again our great and mighty God side by side. But for now, we got to remember that the building isn't the church. We're the church, and God is with us, and His Spirit is in us, and the praises of His people, whether they are together or separate, are still honoring to Him. And so we want to do that this morning. We want to honor Him with our, our hearts, with our minds. Let's do that together this morning. We're also going to hear from God's Word, and we pray that that will encourage you, that it will build you up, and not only that, that it will equip you to be the hands and feet of Jesus during this challenging season. I want to encourage you, go to our website. You may not make a regular habit of that, but I want to encourage you to check it regularly because there we have updates on the coronavirus and how our church is responding to it. But also there, you'll find places where you can express a need. You can share if you have uh, a need that the body our body might be able to meet. And you can also, if you're one of those people that can meet a need, you can share on there as well that you are able and we'll try to connect people up so that groceries can be delivered or other important resources and that people are cared for well. So I want to encourage you to do that. Also submit your prayer requests there. Also submit uh, stories there. We realize that God is working powerfully even through this difficult season. And if God has blessed you, if he's encouraged you, if he's provided for you, or he's brought a, a certain biblical truth to mind that is just fortifying you and allowing you to walk through this difficult season, we want to know about it. And it can be encouraging to our people. So share your story online as well. Finally, there's a place online where you can give. Our church continues to, to need the financial gifts of our people uh, to survive. The buildings are here. They may not be used the same way they typically are, but we still have to pay bills and we still have to pay salaries. We still have to care for people and support ministries. So if you would be so gracious as to continue to give, give online. You can also mail in your, your regular giving or even drop it off here at the church. We have uh, some people on campus who can receive those, who can deposit those, and the ministry can go forward. We move forward with the gifts of our people. We also move forward by the grace of our great God, and we want to worship him this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this time that we have. Lord, every, time, every moment that we have to, uh, to acknowledge who you are, and how great, and how mighty, how powerful, and how good you are. That is, a, that is a wonderful thing. So we thank you for this time, Lord, and we pray that our worship would be sincere, that it would be genuine, that it would be acceptable to you. And Lord, would you not only be blessed by this time, but would you use this time to build your church, to encourage hearts, to lift us up, and prepare us, and equip us to be the hands of feet of Jesus in our world that is in desperate, desperate need, more so than they even know. Lord, we love you. Thank you again for this time. We pray that you'll be blessed by it, and we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together. You 
the blessed fountain of the joy of living ocean depths of happy rest you are the one who saves you are the one who saves you are the one who saves you are the one whose hands lift us from the grave you are the light of life the everlasting day you are the one who takes all our sins away you are forgiving
Lord, we thank you so much that you alone are in control. And during this time, God, that you would come around us, protect us, guide us, keep us safe. Lord, we pray that these songs honored you, glorified you. Lord, that our hearts aligned with your will. God, we know that we can't do anything other than trust in you. And we know that we will see the victory no matter what. We thank you. We praise you. God, we ask that you bless this time now as we go into the sermon. That um, this message, Lord, would be something that would change us. Change us for good. Keep our hearts and minds focused on you. Bless Pastor Jared as he brings forth your message now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. The message this morning comes from Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Would you listen and read along with me here? It says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. May God bless the reading of his word. The song goes, It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That song was released by R.E.M. back in 1987, and just recently, just in the past week or so, it jumped from being number 64 on the iTunes music list, whatever that is, to 23. That's a jump of 41 spots, and it may even be closer now. I haven't checked today. Whether or not it truly is the end of the world, the world and life as we know it, well, that, they've definitely taken a dramatic turn, haven't they? In fact, it seems that almost every day things change again and again and again. And it's, it's, frankly, it's hard to keep up with. It's hard to know uh, what we should know from one moment to another. I mean, there are all kinds of sources and voices coming at us from different angles. It's confusing. It's unnerving. For some, it's downright terrifying. And it's not just the virus that that everyone is concerned about. It's the way the world is responding to this virus that's so troublesome. I mean, what impact 
is there going to be if everyone is out there uh, running around and stripping store shelves? Is there going to be anything left? Uh, What effect is this going to have on my bank account if I can't go to work? Or what is going to happen to our church if we can't meet together for the next several weeks? Or what if my children drive me off the edge and I plunge into an insanity because school is out? Lots of what ifs out there. There are a lot of questions looming out there right now, and I don't have all the answers for them. But I want to draw your attention this morning to a couple of sure things. One is this, the God who made you and sent his son to save you, who's promised to to be with you even through those dark valleys of life, he's coming back for you. And that's really good news. And the second thing is this, that he desires his people to represent him well until he does come. Those two things. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 31, we read it just a minute ago, when the Son of Man comes, not if he comes, but when he comes, when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. You know, the first time Jesus came to earth, he was clothed in human frailty, wasn't he? He was a humble servant. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with suffering. He frequently called himself the Son of Man. He was emphasizing his humanity. But the next time he comes, he comes, we read, in glory. He will be the king, taking his rightful place on that glorious throne. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What a sight that is going to be. This isn't going to be a quiet arrival. Power nappers will be awakened. Dogs will be barking, I'm sure. This, is, this time, more than just a handful of shepherds are going to show up. The return of the Son of Man is going to be powerful. The heavens are going to burst into a spectacle like nothing that has ever been seen before by human eyes. It will be the epitome of shock and awe. Remember that phrase? Did you catch what Matthew 24, 30 said? It says that on that day, the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why will there be mourning when the Son of Man comes? There will be mourning. Because for some, that means judgment has arrived. Christ will sit on his glorious throne and he's going to begin a separation process. Let's look again uh, at Chapter 25, verse 32. It says, Before him will be gathered all the nations. There's a gathering, but then there's a separating, isn't there? It says, He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Shepherds in the Near East, even today, uh, they often herd their sheep and their goats together. And they could, in a sense, kill two birds or, or two animals with one stone by moving them around all at once. But when the time came for the animals to eat or for them to sleep, shepherds would separate the goats from the sheep. Whereas the goats were rowdy and wild, sheep tend to be gentle and calm, so they, so they separate them. In a similar way, that's what Jesus is going to do with people when he returns, according to Matthew 25. There are going to be those that he refers to as the sheep and those that he refers to as the goats. Some people are going to be accepted. Some people are not. Some will get a thumbs up. Some a thumbs down. 
Not everyone will be winners. Not everyone will be treated equal. Apparently, God doesn't care about being politically correct. Well, he doesn't need to. There are no politics in his economy. There's only one opinion that matters, right? It's God's opinion because he's God, and the Bible says there's none other. He's God. Let all the earth keep silent. But what's the difference between these sheep and these goats that Jesus is talking about here. You know, if a police, officer, a police officer turns me over, the first thing I'm thinking is, wow, what did I do? I want to know what I did wrong. Why am I getting singled out from all these other drivers out there? What did he see that warrants this judgment? What's he looking for? Shouldn't we want to know the same here? Shouldn't we want to know how do you become a sheep or what makes you a goat? Verse 34 tells us, then the king will say to those on his right, the, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So, so sheep and goats, what's the difference? The difference is this. The difference lies in how they treated people in need. Here Jesus gives us an inside look at one thing that God really cares about. God cares about the suffering of his people. He says, I'm going to separate you out into two groups. Those who have served me and served those I love and those who have not. And the people cry out, what are you talking about, Lord? When did we do these things for you? When were you hungry or when were you thirsty or when were you a stranger? I don't remember seeing you without clothes. Frankly, I don't remember seeing you with clothes at all or seeing you at all for that matter. When did we clothe you? When were you sick? When were you in prison? The king will answer, it says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus, the king says, there, there's a connection between me and the way you treat certain people. He calls them the least of my brothers, the least of these my brothers. There's no mystery really here as to who he's referring to. He's, he's talking about his disciples. He's talking about his followers. He's not talking about every person that suffers on earth here. At this moment, he's not talking about those that he would consider his enemies. He doesn't call his enemies brothers, does he? In Matthew 12, 49, Jesus was speaking to some people when a man came up to tell him that his mother and his brothers were there. And Jesus asked, who is my mother and who are my brothers? It was rhetorical. And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here is my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. When Jesus says in Matthew 25 that caring for the least of these my brothers is the same thing as caring for himself, he's talking about his disciples. He's talking about his people. He's talking about his church. That's the same thing he spoke of in Matthew 10 verse 42. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus cared about God's people. Of course he would care about God's people. This is nothing new. Throughout the Bible, we see God's compassion for his people. We see that back in Exodus in chapter 3, verse 7. It says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them. In Exodus 16, in Exodus 17, in Exodus 20, God's people, they're starving, they're dehydrated, they're wandering through the wilderness. You remember this? And that's when God sees their needs and he provides for them because he cares for them. He gives them food, he gives them water, he takes care of them. 
In Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the people are exiles in Babylon. They had been disobedient. They were being punished. They were torn from their homeland because of their sin. And that's when God steps in and he cares for them. He moves the heart of King Cyrus of Persia and he begins restoring them to their land. And we could go on and on with examples, uh, but really there's no greater suffering that, could, that he could meet than this suffering. That those whom God has chosen to be his own, who were hopelessly lost in their sin, to them he sent Jesus Christ. He sent Christ to die the death that they deserved, that they, through faith, might be delivered from their sin and its punishment and be restored and reunited to him. <laughs> That's the greatest provision that has ever been made. That's the greatest, the single greatest act of care that God has ever bestowed upon people, bringing them to himself. God cares about the suffering of people. And he cares in particular about the suffering of what he considers to be his people. When Christ returns to judge, he will separate people who have cared for them and those who did not. The sheep are those who have lived their lives as representatives of God. And they've cared for people that God loves on his behalf. But does that mean, as they, our, our minds are turning now, they're spinning now, does that mean that getting to heaven, that being considered a person that God is going to save, does that mean that it's really just all about the good things that I do? Does that mean that as long as I'm nice to followers of Jesus and I help them out wherever I can, wherever they're in need, does that mean that that is what gets me my ticket into heaven? It doesn't mean that doesn't mean that at all. Jesus isn't saying that doing these things is going to get you into heaven. He's not saying that being a doer makes you a Christian. But what he is saying is that representing God's, God well, he's saying that representing God's well, God well, that, he's saying that's what people who are going to heaven do. Have you represented Christ by caring for his people? Is that evidence of your genuine faith in Christ? As you go on and you bless people and you encourage people and you lift them up and you meet their needs and you uh, give of yourself for God's church who Christ gave his life for, is that, is that happening in your life? And is that serving as proof that you truly are God's child? Or are we only supposed to care for those people around us when things are going well for us? Is this season that we're in right now, a season of distress, season of turmoil, season of virus, does that, does that get us off the hook for being the hands and feet of Jesus? Or could it be that even in times of crisis, could it be that especially in times of crisis, when the world is spinning out of control, that maybe that's the time when our sights need to be especially set on caring for others in need. The restrictions that our government is putting upon us, that it definitely throws a wrench into everything that's going on. And maybe we can't minister to people in ways that we would typically do. But could it be that there are new opportunities? Could it be that there are new ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this season? And is it possible that an act of kindness that maybe we thought was no big deal back in the day, maybe a, a gesture as simple as going to the store and picking up some, some supplies for someone and dropping it off at their door, or maybe just calling someone up on the phone and saying, hey, I just want you to know, I'm praying for you. Do you have anything specific that I can pray for? Maybe some of those things could be the most powerful in moving ways that we can express Christ's love during this season. Sharing paper goods, going to the store, maybe uh, just picking up the phone, making a call, seeing someone how, how someone's doing, dropping off a card, or shooting an email, 
or sending uh, an encouraging word over social media. All kinds of ways that we can care for others. And this isn't about earning anything, is it? It's not about earning anything. This is a response to what God has done inside of us. Notice what Jesus is saying in verse 34 here. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You see, being a sheep of Jesus, being in that category, that's not about earning anything. Jesus said that your place uh, in the kingdom as a kingdom heir, that was determined long before you even existed. Long before the foundations of the world were even laid. It, it was determined uh, way back before everything. Before you could do anything good, anything nice. Before you could even think about earning your way to heaven. That's when your place in heaven was reserved. The, that, the, the basis of that decision, it wasn't made on, on the Jesus looking, uh, God looking forward to the future and saying, oh, well, he's going to be a good person, so I'll let him in. She's going to be pretty nice, so yeah, I'll pick her. I want her to be on my team. No, 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 no. This is, this is made on the basis that God, simply God, has chosen to bless you. Jesus said that the sheep, they're those who have been blessed by my Father. It's something that God chooses to do. It has nothing to do with you. It's His incredible grace that He decides where it gets sent and who it gets placed upon. It's the same as a, a child. A, a child doesn't earn his or her inheritance. They just get it because of their place in the family. Christians don't earn their way to heaven. They just inherit the kingdom of God because he has adopted them into his family. And God chose to adopt you. If you have faith in Christ, he chose to adopt you. And you're part of his family. And if you're part of his family, then you're one of those sheep if you're one of the sheep, you're one of the ones who is blessed. And if you're one of the ones who is blessed, then you're one of the ones that God expects to represent him well to others who are in need. This is really important for us to remember. The good things that Christians do, they're not the root of their salvation. They're just the fruit of a Christian salvation. Christians do because of what Christ has done. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved by faith, not saved by good works. We're saved by faith so that we might do good works. We're saved to represent Christ well to those he loves. That's exactly what Christians do. Christians care for their own. They care for their own because their own are God's own. God commands his people to care for the needs of each other. He does it all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. He writes this, for there, will cease, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. John says to Christians in 1 John 3.17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He says, little children, little children, let us love not. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. John thirteen thirty five. by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Why? 
Why should Christians care for their own? One of the reasons is this. Not only because God commands them to do it, but also because Christians look at other Christians and they see Christ in them. This is, you are, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you are the body of Christ. I don't like going to the doctor. I don't like waiting in waiting rooms. I don't like the smell. I don't like the outdated magazines. I don't like the noisy uh, paper that they make you sit on. You know that crinkly stuff on that, t- that, that cushy table they make you sit on? I don't like that. I don't like those gowns that you have to wear. But let me tell you, if a shark bites off my leg, then I'm going to the doctor. And I'm not going to look down and say, eh, well, you know, what's one leg? I've got another leg. I can do without. I'll get by. Just sew it up and let's get along. No, no, no. I want that thing saved. I want it preserved. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. Spend whatever amount of money I possibly have so that that leg gets saved. In the same way, we look at the body of Christ and we see hands and feet of Jesus all around. And when one is hurting, We see Christ, and we want that body part cared for, don't we? That's why. That's why we need to care for Christians in need. Paul encouraged the Galatian Christians in Galatians 6.10. He said, so then, as we have opportunity, let us go do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I like what John Piper writes. He writes, the especially there." The especially is there because there is the added delight of affirming in them what God has already done in saving them. He's saying it's a joy to help other believers because as we do, we're aligning ourselves with the great good that God has already begun in them. As you help other Christians in need, you're essentially saying God is transforming you. He's made an eternal investment in you. He's claimed you as his own. You're so valuable to him. Let me partner with him in valuing you. Notice the reaction of the sheep whom the king is talking to. They say, Lord, when? When did we do this? They didn't even realize that they had been doing it. It, It's it's obvious that they weren't trying to earn their salvation here. They didn't even realize that what they were doing had such significance as for Jesus to count their good deeds as being done to him. This This is huge. They just loved Christ and their love for him while it spilled out on others who were his. Do you love God's people? Do you love his church? Do you love those whom Christ gave his life to bring to himself that they might spend eternity with him? See, I pray that our our focus, during a time like this, our focus tends to go totally on ourselves. We're looking into the mirror and we're saying, am I sick? Am I sick? Am I sick? Do I have all the stuff I need? But I'm praying that our focus turns outward and we start looking at people that God has cared for, that Christ gave his life for, and we start looking for opportunities to care for them as Christ cared for them and as he cared for us. Christians love and care for their own because they see Christ in them. But this leaves us with a really big elephant in the room. There's a big question that we need to ask ourselves now, and that's this. Does the fact that Jesus is talking about caring for his disciples here in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, does that mean that Christians should only care for other Christians? Is Jesus saying we don't need to care for the good of those who don't believe in him? And the answer to that is, well, no way. No way. Just as Christians care for their own. Christians are called to care for others as well. That's what Paul said. In that verse where he said, especially, he's first saying care for everybody. Jesus was very strong about this. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, he says, but I say to you, to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And verse 31 
And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Jesus says, your Father in heaven, the, the most pure, the most holy, the, the most high, he showers down his goodness on those who don't care for him at all. God pours both rain and sunshine down on all of his creation, both good and evil. He provides both oxygen and nourishment. And he gives his son for you. Never forget, never forget that you were a recipient of God's goodness. That you were a recipient of God's goodness before you loved him. Before you knew him. Before you even cared about him. Never forget 1 Peter 2.10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why should Christians care for those who aren't Christians? For the same reason that Jesus does. Christians should care for those who aren't Christians because they want to see Christ in them. We love because he first loved us, right? We didn't love him first. And now we have the opportunity to show that same love to others in hope that they might come to love him as well. Evidence of this kind of Christian love, well, it, it's all around us. It's, it's in hospitals. And so many hospitals were founded, were built by Christians it's in missions to the poor and the homeless. It's in ministries that care for battered and abused women and single mothers. It's in ministries to the deaf, the blind, the crippled, orphans, widows. It's in ministries to the homeless. It's all over the place in our church and various ministries that are happening all around us. It's in the prayers that are taking place from our people that have been pouring out, just gushing for the Lord to to save, to care for, to bless, to heal. What an awesome thing it is to see Christians doing what they were created in Christ Jesus to do. God's people, they care for others. They care for others. This is the, one of the ways that they represent him well as they wait for his glorious appearing. How are you caring for others as you wait? We're doing a lot of waiting now, aren't we? Some of us are sitting at home, not much to do. We're waiting. How are you using that time? Are you praying for God's people? Are you praying for your neighbors next door? Are you looking for opportunities? Not I'm not asking you to go outside of what the government tells us to do. I mean, Jesus himself said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And so the government tells everyone to stay home. Well, we need to stay home. But are there ways that we can be Christ even in that time. When Christ appears, he's going to sit on his glorious throne. And to his people, Christ the King will say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. That's what we're waiting for. What glorious words those will be when we hear them. Those who've been made righteous by Jesus himself, they'll go away into eternal life, according to verse 46. But there are others. There are others. Others who will not inherit the kingdom. Others who will be gathered on his left, Jesus says. They're going to be the ones who didn't do they didn't love and care for Christ's disciples as they should have. They didn't represent Christ. Let's just read again from verse 41. Listen to this. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was sick, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he'll answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. These are the ones who are condemned. They're condemned because they didn't do And yet they aren't condemned merely for their failure to serve. Their failure to serve, well, that's evidence that they never really belonged to Christ. Neither were their sins covered by his stain-washing blood. His righteousness, his perfect life, that wasn't applied to them either. It wasn't credited to them. It wasn't transferred to them. Whereas God looks at the the, uh, good work of, uh, of, of the sheep and sees Christ uh, working in them and he sees our account, our bank account, our spiritual bank account, and he sees in there Christ's work and what Christ did on the cross and he sees that applied to us. He sees Christ's righteousness, his goodness and his all incredible work, saving work on the cross. That's applied to us God looks at the good work count of these others and it's, it comes up short. Nothing's been applied to them. Just as those on the right, these people, they're, they're totally taken off guard and they're totally surprised. They say, Lord, when, when did we not do these things for you? We never saw you in need. How can you hold that against us? And they didn't realize that by failing to serve Christ's people, they failed to serve him as well. I think that one of the most interesting things about this passage is Jesus doesn't describe these people as as serial killers. They're not drug dealers. They're not slave traders. They're not the worst of the worst. In fact, he doesn't mention any of those sins that we would probably look at and say, well, that is really bad. There's bad, and then there's really bad. No, no, no. What does he do? He just lists off. He just lists off a few simple acts of, of kindness that were not committed. And this brings us to a very valuable conclusion. That conclusion is this. Those who will be gathered on his left, those who will go away into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, they won't just be the worst of the worst. They're going to be just those who did not have faith in Jesus Christ. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's the end of the world as we know it. How do you feel? How do you feel? As turbulent and unnerving, as dangerous and uncertain as these times may be, we need to remember some things. We need to remember this. One, we need to remember the God who made you, sent his son to save you, who has promised to be with you. Even through the dark valleys of life, he's coming back for you. That's good news. And secondly, we need to remember that his desire for you, his desire for myself, is that we represent him well until he returns. God cares for the suffering of his people And so do those who have faith in him. They care for other Christians because they see Christ in those other Christians. And they care for those who are not Christians because they want to see Christ in them. There will come a day when Jesus returns. No longer any suffering servant is he going to be. He's going to be the glorious king who will sit on that amazing throne to judge the nations for what they did and did not do as a result of what they believed. Will your life have evidence that your faith is real? Will it be full of loving acts of kindness towards those who are hungry, towards those who are thirsty, towards people who are strangers or in need of clothing, or maybe they're sick, maybe they're in prison? 
Will it, be the, will it be a life that bears the mark of being so transformed by the greatest servant of all time that it bursts forth in service to others, even to those considered to be the least of these? As we go forward, as we walk through this coming week, may our prayer be, Lord, Make me the hands and feet of Jesus. Make me a servant. I want to be like you. I want to serve others the way that you have served me. I want to love your people well. In, in, in the little capacity, in the little ability, that's, that's the small giftedness that I have, I want to use it. I want to be poured out for the sake of others, for the sake of your church, and for the sake of those who don't know you, Lord. Use me in any way that you possibly can, that they too might come to that place of knowing you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your incredible gift, your incredible act of kindness that is a true gift to us, Lord. That we have confidence that even, even in times of trial and turmoil, Lord, we have confidence because we know where we're going. We know that we're secure we know that this life isn't everything. We know that we have a hope and a future. We know that you're coming back. And we can't wait for it. We can't wait. Until you return, Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to live all out for you. The world is changing. Times are tough. We want to be used for you, Lord, to bless others, to bring good to your people. And Lord, would you Give us creativity to do that. Would you give us resources to do that? Would you give us good health and protection that we might do that, Lord? Use us for your glory and the good of your people. And Lord, as we continue to walk through this time of uncertainty, Lord, may our faith be strong. May our confidence be in Christ. May our hope be in you. May we have certainty because, Lord, you or a sure and steadfast foundation. You do not change. And you have promised good to us. We love you. Thank you for this time we've had in your word. We pray in Christ's name. And for his glory. Amen.